he should have been held, and he should have been held without bond. Uh, he, he should not have been out to uh, commit this horrific act. The prosecution in that case, when you juxtapose her performance with that in the Rittenhouse case, she did an amazing job. It had a great command of the courtroom, great cross-examination, and buried the defendant on the stand. There's a rat in there, and you got to follow your gut, and you got to start flushing people, or this thing's DOA. You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top story served a la carte. Subscribe at the Great Voice or wherever you get your podcasts. Travis McMichael, Gregory McMichael, and William Bryan Jr. are facing life in prison after being found guilty on multiple charges in a Georgia courtroom for the February 2020 killing of Ahmaud Arbery. The three convicted murderers followed Arbery down a secluded street while he was jogging, confronted him, shot him with a shotgun, and videotaped the encounter. Criminal defense attorney and former Wayne County assistant prosecutor Todd Flood breaks down the verdict with Chris Renwick. This was a no-brainer. Uh, they, they chased this man down, as I've said before, and killed him in cold blood. Uh, it is uh, a proper verdict on both counts. Both won the, the malice uh, charge, mm-hmm. malice to forethought count, and the intentional murder. Those are really distinctions without differences because uh, it's life in prison. Uh, it's only up to the judge after they serve 30 years in prison whether or not they can uh, be released in parole uh, by parole, and I, I doubt very seriously that that happens. Yeah, one of the one of the, the 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 turning points in this case really was when that video came through, and and the the video was shot by William Bryan. He was the the neighbor of both Greg McMichael and Travis McMichael, and and when he saw those two men get in their truck and and basically chase him out Arbery down the street. He got in his truck and pulled out his cell phone and started filming the incident. And that really was the linchpin in this case, wasn't it? Oftentimes it is. Yes, the video. Um, It would have been potentially a circumstantial case without the video, the direct evidence um, that you had with regards to a witness, because the evidence, the facts and the the forensics show um, there was really no act of self-defense. They went down there. Uh, Mr. Aubrey did not have a weapon. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, he, he was fleeing the scene. So uh, the video is uh, very compelling, obviously. And thankfully, they had it. The prosecution had it, albeit the prosecution in that case, when you juxtapose her performance with that in the Rittenhouse case, she did mm-hmm. an amazing job. She was a, a, had a great command of the courtroom, great cross-examination, and uh, buried the defendant on the stand. Um, he he was uh, could really put up no arguable defense as it related to a cross examination. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the Rittenhouse case because it, it seems that that through the, the the prosecutor, the prosecutor has so much weight on their shoulders and and in the in the Rittenhouse case the prosecution really seemed to to hurt their case in 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 certain uh pieces of evidence that they brought up whereas in in the in the Arbery case like you said they had complete command of of the whole entire case and it just seemed like at every turn uh they were proving without a reasonable doubt that that in fact these three men were deserving of these charges talk to me about the the the, the job that a prosecutor needs to go through in a case like this well it's a lot um and i, I just will make one quick diversion to your your thought the defense attorneys 
uh, bear an insane amount of weight on their shoulders as well. Um, sure. In the Rittenhouse case, you have an innocent man, and one of the most difficult cases in the world to defend is, albeit in the, the, the lures of, of uh, defense work, is the innocent person. Uh, mm-hmm. The weight on the prosecution in this case, uh, the pressure, the time, the public service that uh, you put in that you don't get paid for, the sleepless nights, uh, gathering all the evidence, putting all the evidence together, making sure your officers have everything proper chain and custody, making sure that everything is uh, ready to go, uh, that you've had all the witnesses properly interviewed. Um, I have often said and have taught that for every one piece of evidence that you're going to introduce, you have to spend two hours of preparation time of going through all the objections that could potentially mm-hmm. face you in a courtroom. Um, so you, you have to be ready for the Coliseum. You have to be ready for war. Uh, because you're you're going up against a formidable task, and that's the way our jurisprudence works. Um, in this case, as I think you, you you know as well as anyone, facts win cases. Facts yeah. and and the law that's given by the judge, and do the facts square up with the law that's given to the judge? And the the, the Supreme Court of facts in a courtroom are the jury. So you you have to make sure you can properly tell that story to the jury so they have something to hang their hat on as it relates to the verdict that they take so seriously and sacrosanct. So in this particular case, you know, I hate to say this, it was hers to lose, but that even Mm -hmm. puts more pressure on her because she needed to do everything times 10 because she knew she would have a microscope on her um, and uh, the world watching and candidly, she stood up to the occasion. I mean, if anyone wants to see an, uh, a proper cross-examination or a proper direct examination in, in the world of law, you can YouTube that the, the videos yeah. of Textbook. what she did. The three men will be back in court next year to face federal hate crime charges. Tarrant, Wisconsin, when Daryl Brooks drove his minivan through the Waukesha Christmas parade last weekend, injuring 62 people, killing six. Brooks has a long rap sheet and was out on bond for a similar offense where he allegedly tried to run down the mother of his child with his car. Washtenaw County prosecutor and bail bond reform advocate Ellie Savitt with Kevin Dietz. There's no question that, uh, at least in my view, and and this appears to be the view of the district attorney uh, over there, uh, this individual should have been in jail, uh, full stop. You know, he was accused of a very similar offense. Uh, it seems like attempting to murder uh, a former intimate partner with his car just, just days prior. Uh, and he should have been held, and he should have been held without bond. Uh, he, he should not have been out to uh, commit this horrific act. How does that happen? Is it a, a problem of too many cases, not enough eyes on a case? Uh, is it the, uh, the, some some attorneys are uh, better at getting bond reduced? Uh, how does how does that happen in real life? This isn't the first time we've heard stories like this. You know, I can't speak, of course, to the particulars of a situation in Wisconsin, um, but. Uh, look, in, in general, uh, we have an adversarial system. 
and prosecutors uh, generally can go and make bond recommendations or indeed to seek to hold somebody without bond. Uh, Of course, uh, you know, the defendant uh, often, uh, you know, in Michigan always has a lawyer there representing them that will be arguing for less stringent conditions, lower bond, uh, what have you. And ultimately, the decision is up to a judge or a magistrate uh, as to what bond, if any, is going to be set. Um, So, uh, you know, this this kind of stuff does happen. uh, And, you know, sometimes it's lead to tragic results. So, you know, every prosecutor's office can be run differently. Some are uh, very uh, tough on bond. They want they want people uh, locked up uh, on bond until uh, the, the hearing, until they, they get their day in court. Others uh, believe that uh, people are, are innocent until proven guilty and, and they shouldn't be locked up uh, until the trial. Um, it, it, it's odd to me because there's just so much uh, uh, choice by the various communities. You're working hard to reform bond. What what do you think is the right way to look at this? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so so look, I am a I am an opponent of our cash bail system, and, and indeed, I think that um, what happened in Wisconsin is a pretty searing indictment of uh, a system that relies on money uh, at the core of whether somebody is released. Uh, so here's, here's my view on things. Uh, first, if you don't pose a danger to the community, if you're uh, accused of a low-level uh, nonviolent offense, right, you shouldn't have uh, a, a money bond attached to that offense. Uh, you should be able to go free, potentially with conditions, uh, continue to go to work, provide for your family, uh, and the like. But uh, the corollary is also true. If you are accused of a crime uh, where it is clear that you pose a danger to the community, uh, I believe that you should stay in jail pending trial, uh, period. And there should be no amount of money that you are able to pay uh, to get out. Uh, I want dangerous people in jail. Uh, I want dangerous people in jail regardless of whether they are poor, regardless of whether they are wealthy. So, you know, my belief is that we need to move beyond a cash bail system because what happens when you have a cash bail system is that you are told that you can go free if you come up with a certain amount of money out of your bank account. Now, that can result in people accused of low-level offenses, driving with a suspended license, something like that, uh, being held in jail for days or weeks or months uh, because they can't come up with a few hundred or a few thousand bucks. The flip side of that is that a cash bail-based system also allows people with access to means, wealthier people, uh, to go free even if they pose a serious risk to the community simply because of the amount of money in their bank account. That doesn't make any sense. Folks who are dangerous, in my view, should be held in jail, and it shouldn't matter how much money they have access to. So, yeah, so back to Daryl Brooks's case, uh, the people are upset that his uh, bail was only $1,000 and he was able to make it and get out. Uh, if, if we looked at Daryl Brooks and his case was a million dollars, but he had a million dollars, he also could have put that money down and would be able to get out under the current system. That's, that's exactly right. And, you know, this happens. There was a there was a pretty high profile case in Connecticut a few years back where a wealthy financier uh, was accused of kidnapping uh, and murdering 
his wife. Uh, and he got a $6 million bond and was out the next day uh, because he had access to money. Uh, that should scare all of us. Uh, wealthy people can be dangerous. And what we need to be doing in these situations is holding people without bond so that there's no chance uh, that they are able to go free and harm others in the community. So the other issue uh, for, for bail or is uh, to make sure you appear, right? Those are the two issues. That doesn't really play much of a role here when someone's deciding if someone's going to show up or not. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. I mean, there's, so there's two there's, – there's arguably two reasons for bail. One is to uh, ensure public safety. And the theoretical reason for it really is to make sure that you appear for court. There's been a lot of studies done on this. Uh, and, and actually having, having a bond set uh, really doesn't make much of a difference in terms of whether somebody uh, reappears for court. Uh, you know, if somebody is incentivized to jump bail, uh, they're probably going to do it regardless of whether uh, they've got a cash bond or, or or another type of bond imposed on them. And, and you know, in, in jurisdictions like Washington, D.C., New Jersey, that have eliminated cash bail, the reappearance rates um, are strikingly similar to uh, the reappearance rates before they got rid of cash bond. In some cases, uh, they're actually even a little bit higher. COVID cases and deaths continue to rise as Michigan has become the number one hotspot in the nation. Charlie LaDuff host of the No Bullshit News Hour and Deadline Detroit contributor, is the latest high-profile voice wondering, where's Governor Whitmer? He joined Guy Gordon to ask that very question and to report on some turmoil in the James Craig campaign. I've been, I've worked in states in the, in the press where it will be the president of the cross party and the governor shows up. I cannot believe COVID's running wild. Joe Biden comes to town, going to unveil, you know, an EV factory and the governor that's that's free you know national press that is a chance to whisper our dreams into the president's ear and somehow in the middle of covid when we need some leadership you telling us we don't even know i haven't seen any pictures you're on a plane to california to talk to microchip producers really so i haven't seen you in two weeks I haven't seen any pictures from California. I don't know whose airplane you took out west this time, but it doesn't it doesn't politically match up that she will be gone when he's coming here. Well, and not, as you point out, not just for one important event, um, but two. Uh, you and I saw her front and center providing leadership. We may not have always agreed with her leadership or the decisions she was making, but she was front and center from the beginning of COVID up until the time that she handed the reins over to Elizabeth Hertel when she dumped Robert Gordon. And since then, she still did the briefings every now and then, but the first briefing in months yesterday, last week and nowhere to be found. And nowhere to be found. And remember, like a year ago, you shut everything down. Right. Don't don't go see grandma and grandpa. You can't go to the nursing home. Uh, no restaurants. OK, so if I'm her handler, I'd say, look, you go out there and you say, you know, we saved lives and we had no answers a year ago. Now we have vaccines. We are totally open. So you can you actually I was gonna say you can go to the Lions game, but nobody's going to the Lions game. Right. You can go to U of M, uh, Ohio State this weekend, right? 
we're good. We're, we're open for business. The numbers are the same, but that's because we have answers. I'm not telling you to do anything this year. It worked. I'm advising you. This vaccine's not a, a you know, a foolproof. You could still infect grandma and grandpa. I still recommend you don't fly to California. I recommend you don't congregate in big groups at home for Thanksgiving, but I'm not going to tell you. But she didn't do that. She's AWOL. So why is she AWOL? One thought is Biden doesn't want to be seen with her. I doubt that, right? He's got a couple years to go. She doesn't want to be seen with him. I doubt that because you still are the co-chair of the Democratic National Party. And he is everybody's president. You give him the respect, whether you like the man or not. Or could it be, Guy, this is, you know, and I'm, I'm talking to you. It's like. I'm just feeling it's you and me having a private conversation, but this is what I do late at night with politicos, Republicans, Democrats. Maybe Whitmer's running from Whitmer. Maybe we've got bad news on the unemployment front. That was a, a fraud. It was mishandled. The nursing home count from the Auditor General is due any time now. Maybe it's better to lay low and have no photos in the stock archives of the newspapers because maybe holy hell's about ready to drop on her. I don't know. Well, I want to give you credit for for breaking some news on your podcast, which is you're hearing that there are some people within the James Craig campaign that may be eager to jump ship, even though the the, the ship has only just sailed. Let me put it this way. He's he's not lighting the world on fire like the you you know how it is, man. You you circulate. So, you know, the party bigwigs. He's, He's not he's not knocking them dead. And yeah, there are at least one. People in his camp talking to other potential candidates in the Republican milieu here for, you know, trying trying to get the Republican nomination for governor. Absolutely. So if you're listening, Chief, you got a rat in there. You, you got a rat in there. I've I've been around. I've never heard it's probably happened, but there's a rat in there. And you got to follow your gut and you got to start flushing people or this thing's DOA. James Craig's campaign manager, John Yob, has resigned. And Guy did track the governor down a few days later when he filled in for Paul W. Smith. Uh, I know you've been talking about added guidance in terms of COVID. That's the one thing we don't want on the menu for Thanksgiving or in the period after heading into Christmas. Can you share with us what uh, the, the Department of Health and Human Services may be releasing today just to give us some uh, extra encouragement or, or perhaps uh, future orders? Yes. Well, I, you know, one of the things I think we can all acknowledge is we're in a different very different place than we were a year ago. Um, There are some similarities. COVID is still here and we're all exhausted from it. But the fact of the matter is we've got access to vaccines now, which we didn't a year ago. We know that being vaccinated is the best way to stay safe, making sure that if you're gathering inside uh, to encourage and make sure that everyone who's there is vaccinated. And if they're not, that you're masking up, especially when you're indoors with a lot of people from outside your household. We know what works. We're in a, we're in a, we've got more tools that are disposal now we can stay safe um if you if you're eligible for a booster it's been six months since your second shot go get that booster now and um for kids we've we've done a really important work of getting about 10 percent of our 5 to 11 year olds vaccinated last weekend that's a big number but there's still more work to do and encourage parents to still have questions Talk to your pediatrician, get your get your questions answered so that you can feel comfortable that this really is the best way to keep your kids safe, too. 
All, all good advice is, as we look ahead, can, if, if this uh, release does come down today, will it be in the form of an order or will it be in the form more of a friendly reminder? It's guidance. It's strong encouragement to, to you know, utilize the tools that we have to stay safe. We know COVID patients are stressing out our hospitals and our, frankly, our workforce in our hospitals that has been through so much and they still keep showing up and working so hard. But the, you know, over 90% of the people that are coming to the hospital with COVID are unvaccinated. And we yeah. have the tools to keep you out of the hospital. We encourage people to to avail themselves of it for all of our sake, because when hospital beds fill up with unvaccinated COVID patients, uh, we're all at risk. If you have a heart attack or you have an accident over the holidays, you want to be able to know that you can get the care you need without all the beds being filled by, um, you know, with COVID patients that are preventable. So that's really what we're focused on. You know, the, the one that was an eye-popper for me was during Elizabeth Hertel's briefing the other day. Uh, she had on Dr. Alhamudi from uh, the west side of the state, Spectrum Health. 14 hospitals that he's talking about, and 97% of those that were on a ventilator were unvaccinated. 90% of those that were in the ICU, unvaccinated. And that really does bring home, uh, the, you know, the, you don't want to spin that wheel of fortune and lose. And, and that, that's, it's, 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 it is an important fact. Uh, that unfortunately has been distorted by some. That'll do it for Podsui this week. For full interviews or anything else you might have missed, go to thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.